listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. There are a few more things frustrating than fishing with three small children. And I guess, <clears throat> I guess when I say fishing, I, re- I really mean I'm just watching them fish and then fix their, their issues that they create. And they're, they're still learning all the details of baiting a hook, still learning all the details of how to cast a line, all the details of, of yanking the pole when the bobber goes down, all the details uh, of taking a fish off the hook and releasing it back into the water. It's a uh, fun but exhausting experience. And when all three go, it, it truly, it really is a sanctifying experience for the soul. And it never fails. Uh, we have not been fishing one time without this happening. Happening. I'll, I'll be working with one kid off to the side, and another kid will say, Dad? And they usually say, um, that's when you know something's wrong. Um, Dad? And... I'll look over, say, Dad, can, can you help me? And every time without fail, um, I see their, their line all knotted up. And every time I tell them, don't move. Do not move. Don't move that pole. Just, just wait. Don't move the pole. Just wait, and I'll come help you. And every time uh, without fail, guess what they do? Try to fix it on their own. And so by the time I get over to them, it's not just one knot, but a mangled ball of line, a bobber, and hook. And every time I I, I tell them, like I told you to wait on me. Truth is, not many of us like waiting. Even, Even when we know we can't fix it. Even when we know it's not ours to fix. Even when we know that that help is on the way. See, the danger of waiting is the reality of what it does inside of our own heart. The danger of of waiting is this, this angst we feel to take things into our own hands, often leaving us in a a knotted mess of, of our life. If you're a follower of Christ, you have experienced times of waiting on God to show up. By, like by that very idea, we are a people that, that they're, we're waiting on the Lord to arrive. Like when's he going to show up? When's he going to fulfill all that he has promised us in his word? When is, like when is he going to make all this better? And if we're not careful, you know, we might find ourselves taking things into our own hands. And if we're not careful, we might find ourselves tangled up in sin and judgment and evil. This is a message for those in a season of, of waiting, which is all of us. And let me just give the warning right up front. It's a dangerous season. So let me show you from God's word the hills and valleys of David's life while he waited on the promises of God to be fulfilled. So this is 1 Samuel 24. Tackle the whole chapter together. If you have a digital Bible, I'll be reading out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there in, in your bulletin. But before we read the passage, let's pray together. 
Father, we uh, just confess that there are many of us that have not and are not coming to you this morning with a lot of strength, don't feel very strong, come before you in our weaknesses, physically weak, spiritually, emotionally tired, and knowing the truth and the reality of your word, God, that you will meet us in all of that. That you will be made strong even when we're weak, God. I pray that regardless whether we, we feel strong or we feel like we're falling apart right now, that, that you would teach us from 1 Samuel 24 what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to believe when it doesn't feel like you're doing anything, God, uh, what it means to trust you, what it means to, to be um, in the season of waiting for you to arrive. God, help us to see the dangers and all of that uh, from 1 Samuel 24. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. It's going to be long. So 1 Samuel 24. It's like the worst pastoral introduction of a sermon. Sorry, I don't know. Like this is gonna be this is gonna be really long. Um, all right, verse one. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, "Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi." And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day. Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart, it, it struck him because he had cut off a, a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And so David, he persuaded his men with these words and they did not permit them to attack Saul. And so Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way, verse 8. Afterward, David also arose. <clears throat> he went out of the cave, called after Saul, my lord, the king. Saul looked behind him. David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and, and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. So may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. 
as the Proverbs of the ancients say, out of the wickedness comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son, David? Lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you, you're, you're more righteous than I. You've repaid me good, whereas I've repaid you evil. You've declared this day how you dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let them go safe, go away safe? May the Lord reward you, reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Swear to me. Therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So, over the summer, um, we studied Psalm 62. It's the Psalm of David, a Psalm that shows us why it's worth waiting on the Lord. But, but this, this morning, let me, let me show us the dangers of that season, how the space in between can cause a space that, sh- that just triggers sinful things into our heart. Let me give us three dangers of waiting, three dangers that we see from the life of David, his unhealthy and healthy decisions as he waited on the promises of God. Three dangers of waiting. Let me give you the first one. First danger is listening to, to false prophets. So Saul, he finds himself uh, in this situation. After pursuing the Philistines, he's told David is in the wilderness of Engedi. So while every other scene up to this point, it just, it's, at least in my mind, it throws us into this bland and dry land. Engedi, though, was a place uh, of springs and waterfalls and plenty of vegetation and wildlife and an oasis among the, the desert. A desert oasis on the western shore of the Dead Sea. No map. Got a picture, though, this time. There you go. It's not the blue hole. Um, I was like, that's got to be. It's not. Um, It's a perfect place to hide, specifically in what verse 2 says, the wild goat's rocks. We We don't really know exactly what that is. We know it's a cave large enough to hold 600 of David's men. And in verses 3 through 7, we're given this this account. It's one of the most memorable accounts of 1 Samuel. It's one of those stories that I heard when I was a kid, and it just never left my mind. So Saul's entered the cave. And not just any cave, the cave that David and his men were in. Saul has some uh, business to attend to, literally, as verse 3 says, to relieve himself. A dark cave, Saul most certainly believed was empty, now takes off his royal robe to go to the bathroom. What a... What a comical, amusing way to the end the story of Saul. The strong man, tall king of Israel, now going to the bathroom in the, in the cave of his enemy. Now's the time to take down Saul. Now's the, the time to end this game. 
which is exactly what David's men believed and told him as they sat in the innermost parts of the cave. David, look. Do you, I mean, are, do you see what I see? It can't be. I mean, it really cannot be this easy. After all the chasing, after all this fleeing, there he is. This is it. This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your name or your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. This is it, David. I mean, we just, we've been waiting long enough for this. Now's our chance. How the next scene unfolds, not really sure. Maybe the cave was so dark, Saul never noticed David. Maybe Saul took off his robe and then went to a, a different location to relieve himself. Not sure. Are sure what, we are sure what David did. In the verse 4, David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. An act that, that might have made Saul's symbolic robe of kingship unwearable. An act that might have signified the, the cutting away of the kingdom of Israel from Saul. An act that at the very least is just disrespectful and deceptive. So yeah, um, David didn't kill the guy, but he knew that Saul was king. He knew that God would give him that role when the time was right. He knew it was wrong. David was convinced in his heart that he was wrong. And so he convinced the men in the cave, leave Saul alone. And I think, why? Why did David even do this to begin with? David knew the Lord. David knew what the Lord said. David was a man of God. David has shown patience and wisdom before. Why do something sinful and petty now? Because of verse 4. Because as men said, here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And guess what? The Lord never said that. Or at the very least, those men took what the Lord said out of context and applied it, uh, and applied it to, to David's situation. By every definition, David listened to false prophets, prof false prophecy coming from his own men that really loved him. False prophecy coming from his own men that would die for him. And friends, that's the incredibly real danger of our day. There's a very real danger of wanting something so bad that we will listen to whoever gives us the green light to go get it. That is the danger of false prophecy. It's not that that you and I, we love heresy and we're just looking to hear some heresy. It's this burning desire to hear what you want to hear. It's this craving to be affirmed in our own selfish and sinful desires. False prophecy comes to give you what you want. False prophecy will tell you it's from God. It won't even be in the Bible. 
false prophecy will rip verses out of its context so it can be misapplied to your context just so you can feed your own ego. See, see false prophecy doesn't always come from men and women that, that are out to hurt you. It often comes from men and women that say they love you, probably even believe their own message. When life is unbearably difficult, because pretty sure we've already addressed that this morning, it is. When you're tempted to do something foolish and sinful, when you want to go your own way, when you're tired of waiting for the Lord to do something, what kind of encouragement do you want to hear in that moment? Do you want to hear from the Bible, or do you want to hear the opinions of your friends, family, and people online? Paul Washer, he put it like this, one of the, the greatest distinguishing marks of the false prophet is that he will always tell you what you want to hear. He'll never rain on your parade. He'll get you clapping. He'll get you jumping. He'll make you dizzy. He'll keep you entertained. And he will present a Christianity to you that will make your church look like six flags over Jesus. What a danger it is to listen to men that tell you what you want to hear but never tell you the truth. What a danger it is to listen to men that claim the Lord said something he never actually said. Give a bunch of scripture. Matthew 7.15 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Matthew 24, 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise. They'll perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, even possible, if possible, even the elect. 2 Peter 2, 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, who, who bought them bringing upon them swift destruction. Dangerously waiting on the Lord's is dangerous because of our inclination to listen to false prophecy. So know your Bible well enough to know that what you're being taught is from the Bible. Know, know your Bible well enough to know that what you're being taught is not ripped out of its context just to give you what you want. So the question is, like, do you want the green light to move forward in something that is sinful, or do you want to hear what the Lord actually said? Do you want affirmation to do whatever is spinning in your mind, or do you want the truth? Because those are often very different realities of my life. Listening, listening to false prophecy is a very real danger in our waiting. I got three. Three dangers of waiting. Let me give you your second one. Um, acting like the final judge. My Lord the King. Those words echoed at the mouth of the cave in verse 8. The pit in his stomach, the startling noise of David 
Saul looked back. Everything came into focus. Everything fell into place. He knew he, knew he was good as dead, or at least could have been. My Lord, the King. And David bowed his face to the earth. And I think, what are you doing, David? Like, this guy's tried to kill you. This guy has killed the prophets of Nob. This guy, he, he ordered the slaughter of children and infants. So what are you doing, David? Why are you bowing to such a wicked and evil man? I don't think Saul knew. He stood speechless. David shouts, Why do you listen to the words of men who keep telling you that I'm, I'm out to harm you? Like, don't you, don't you see that the Lord put me into your hands? Like, don't you know that, that some of my own men told me to kill you, and I didn't do it? I won't do it. I will not put my hand against my king. For you are the Lord's anointed. See, my father. Like, don't you see the corner of your own rope? Close enough to kill you, and I didn't. What have I done for you to hunt me down? No, so, Saul, the Lord, the Lord will be judged between me and you. It, it won't be me. The Lord will avenge me against you. Out of wickedness comes wickedness. Am I a, am I a dead dog? Am I some flea? So here's what's going to happen, Saul. The Lord will be the judge between me and you, and then the Lord will deliver me out of your hand. The danger of waiting on the Lord, the danger of of waiting on the Lord to do what he said he would do is to step in and do his job for him. Specifically, as we see in the text, acting like the final judge. Now here clearly, I'm not saying we don't judge. That's a false teaching of our day that is rampant in the church. This is what 1 Corinthians 5 says, starting in verse 12. For what have I do with judging outsiders? My answer is nothing. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. It is not wrong to call out sin. David is not being mean or hateful by telling Saul how it is. David isn't acting like the final judge by telling Saul the truth about his life. It's not wrong to confront sin. It's not wrong to deal with sin. It's not wrong to protect the church against unrepentant sin. It's not wrong to pursue healthy church discipline with real tangible actions, not just some idea that we have. We are called to judge what is sinful and what is not sinful. However, what's clear in the text is we don't get to be the final judge of those around us. Let me put it like this. Um, I don't care how busted up or evil people are. You and I are not their final judge. And can we just admit, like, how much we want to be? Uh, you don't think David wrestled with that one? You, you don't think David 
fought against this idea of sticking a sword in Saul's gut. And all 600 of those men in the cave would have cheered him on while he did it. But that wasn't David's calling. It's certainly not our calling. As we wait on the Lord, as we wait for the Lord to fulfill his promises, even as we wait on the Lord to return, how easy it is for Christians to start acting like the final judge of everyone else around them. Ah, they said this. Cancel. They did this. Did you not hear about it? They did this. Cancel. I, I heard that they believed this. Canceled. Friends, you have no power or authority to be the final judge of anyone in this life. Why? Well, because that, that rolls for the greater king named Jesus. A bunch of scripture, John 5, 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. 2 Timothy 4, 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, Acts 17, 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, which isn't you. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Call sin what it is. Hold people accountable. Preach the truth. Love people in their mess. But at the end of the day, the Lord will be the final judge, not you or me. We have no ability to cancel people out of the kingdom. Christ Jesus can and will, just not me. David knew in this season of waiting on the Lord that he could not and would not fulfill the role of Lord as judge. I know it's frustrating. Like, I, I know we get tired. I know, I hear it all the time, how just sick we are of, of wicked, sinful men and women that, that are doing great in this life, and you're still struggling. Sometimes we don't know what else to do, so we just start pointing fingers, blaming everyone else, but that's not our role. I'm going to preach the truth, even if you don't like it. I don't like it a lot of times. But I'm not your final judge. That's not my authority. How tempted we all are to take that role while we wait for the Lord to fulfill that role. Three dangers of waiting. Let me give you your last one. It's repaying evil for evil. Is this your voice, my son David? Saul, he began to weep at the words, you're more righteous than I. You repay me good where I've repaid you evil. You didn't even kill me when you had the chance. I mean, how can it be when a man finds his enemy to let him go away safely? I pray the Lord rewards you for your good. David, surely you'll be king. Surely Israel will be established in your hand. Please don't cut off my offspring. Please don't destroy my father's house. And David promised Saul, and Saul went on home. The overwhelming realization of Saul. David was a good man that loved the Lord. David didn't repay evil for evil. David repaid evil with good. So let me first state something that might be stirring in our minds and our hearts about that one. 
Protecting against evil is not the same thing as repaying evil for evil. There are times to protect those that can't protect themselves. It is literally what happened in 1 Samuel 23. David did not do good to the Philistines who were plundering the inhabitants of Kelia. No, he cut them down. A great blow. Save the people. Some more scripture. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Psalm 82.3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Protecting against evil is not evil. And protecting against wicked men and women at times requires violence. If you come into my house to harm my family, I will not treat your evil intentions with goodness. I'll protect my own with violence. David's not a pushover. David is not peddling passivity when he flees to a different stronghold. David is giving us a glimpse of what Christ followers do when evil surrounds them. This radical cultural anomaly, when evil is present, it is, do we see that as an opportunity to do good? To repay evil with good? Romans 12, let me give you these verses, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with with, with all, with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't want to do that. get angry, I want revenge. I want, I want to see that other person fail. We struggle with it. Sure, protect against the enemy. Protect against evil. But don't ignore what Jesus said. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. Enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. Why? Because you will be heaping burning coals on his head. You'll be increasing God's wrath on them if they don't repent. The world is shaking right now. And there are millions and millions of people that really believe that evil can overcome evil. But Christ Jesus said overcome evil with good. man named uh, 
Leroy Walker Sr. He lost his daughter 25 years ago into a car, in a car accident. This past week, um, he lost his son. Joey, he took a butcher's knife, stood to protect against the gunmen in Lewistown, Maine. An evil man that shot and killed 18 and injured 13 others. And Joey stood against evil and was gunned down. What does his dad have to say? What did he say as tears streamed down his cheek? He said something to me that was astonishing. I don't hate this person. You can't run around this world and hate people. If you do, these kinds of things will happen more and more. If you hate, that hate drives you crazy and you're going to hurt people. Hate will never bring my son back. I'm sorry this happened to us, but God will prevail. One day, King Saul will die. King David will take the throne. Certainly wasn't a fun period of, of waiting. One day, King Jesus will return to establish his throne forever. Christ has and will prevail. What a dangerous season of waiting it is in the meantime. Stop listening to false prophets. Stop acting like the final judge. Stop repaying evil for evil. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. He's patient. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it, they will be exposed. None of us like waiting. Just be patient. Pray for those to repent even if those people are your enemies. Why is the Lord slow to fulfill his promises? Because he's patient with you. Let us be patient with the Lord. It's your summary point, and I'll pray. Patiently wait on the Lord, because he is patient with you. That Christ has and will prevail, that there is no power of hell or scheme of man that can ever pluck us from his hand. Patiently wait until he returns or calls you home. Christ has and most certainly will prevail. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the way that it confronts us and our own desires and our own wants and just trying to give every excuse in the world to do what we want. Help us to be men and women of the truth. Men and women of Christ Jesus. Men and women that 
love your word and know your word. Help us to, to be men and women that wait well. That you have and you will prevail. God, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.